I'm Marguerite Kearns, and I'm here to talk about a book that's coming out, and it's probably out by now, An Unfinished Revolution, Edna Buckman Kearns and the Struggle for Women's Rights. It's SUNY Press, State University of New York in Albany, and it really asks the question, what was the women's suffrage movement really like? And it's a lens of one family, and it's my family. And the ranks are thinning of those who actually were there, and descendants like myself are stepping forward. And we all have stories to tell, and it's the most important thing we can pass on to the future. And the basic question is, why am I the way I am? And each story is different. And that's what my book is about. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Marguerite Kearns is author, as she said, of An Unfinished Revolution, Edna Buckman Kearns, and The Struggle for Women's Rights, published by SUNY Press. It's a memoir and family history about her grandparents, who were peace and suffrage activists at the turn of the 20th century in New York City and Long Island. Her grandmother was Edna Buckman Kearns, and her grandfather was Wilma Kearns. Your grandmother, Edna, she died at an early age. Did she die before you were born? Absolutely. And that was the fascination about uh, learning about who she was. And my grandfather was there. He was involved in the movement, both the suffrage movement, voting rights, and peace. And he's the one that really told me the stories from his point of view. And I wanted to know a lot about my grandmother. And he was there to tell me. I was 10 years old. I couldn't understand why there was no photos in the home where I was raised. I found out later, it took me a long time to figure it out, but it was right in front of my face. They hadn't processed the grief of her death in 1934, and they loved her. They adored her, but the Great Depression came along, and the Second World War, and all kinds of other things took priority. So uh, here I was, a little girl, and I had no idea that it was going to take so long to publish uh, what I found out. And there's many things that I looked at. It's, it's a hybrid memoir, so it has photos and diaries and stories and legends and secrets and scandals. <laughs> it's, and, of course, I think the most important thing is what was the impact on generations in my family. And there were f- four generations that really took the story to heart in one way or another, and they became activists. Maybe they weren't voting rights or peace activists, but I think all of us are asking the question, why am I the way I am? And we all have stories to tell. And you said that when you were 10 years old, you asked your grandfather, uh, Wilmer, about your grandmother. And didn't you say that he began by telling you a love story? Well, yes, of course. He fell in love with her. I mean, almost immediately. She was... Even I knew at age 10 that she was beautiful, but of course she was of a very different generation, but he fell in love with her immediately, and she said, let's just be friends, and I think because of that friendship, they realized that there was something going on between them. They were very different. My grandmother was a Quaker from Philadelphia, and my grandfather was from central Pennsylvania, and his ancestors and family members Uh, participated in the American Revolution, the War of 1812, and the Civil War. And and so they were very different. And finding common ground was the the mission of their relationship. That was 
that what was became very important. And mm. I think I learned a lot just in, in tracking down the story and listening to my grandfather tell the story. He was mm-hmm. uh, there for me till 1972 when he passed. And there were many questions I wanted to ask, and that's the one thing I hear from many people. I wish I had asked these questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. I'm sure you hear that too, Bob, right? Yes. Oh, I do, and I ask myself because my elders are basically gone now. One thing I I don't know is how did they meet Wilmer and Edna? Well, they met by accident, and she was an art student in Philadelphia, and she had a portfolio, and she dropped it. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he leaped to the rescue, and uh, they ended up walking together in Center City, Philadelphia. And the story, of course, ends up in New York State, but uh, after uh, they developed a friendship and they had more time to to really get to know each other and so it was a love story and when he finally got around to basically getting the courage to ask her to marry him uh, she was ready and they went to New York and that's the the main theme of the story the one th- thing that I missed who had the arts uh, project Edna or Wilmer Edna was the art student and my okay. grandfather was a business college student in Philadelphia. He went to Pierce. It still exists today. When, she, when he picked up all of those art drawings on the ground, he was smart enough to kind of say, well, I'd like to get to know you a little bit. And, and that's what, what happened. They're both mm. were students. You told us a little bit about Wilmer's early life, central Pennsylvania. What about Edna? What was her early life like? Well, she was a Quaker, and she had a Quaker family in Philadelphia. And she, it was, this is this memoir really gets into the details of of a real family. Uh, they were testing each other uh, about issues of equality and human rights and social justice. They didn't call it all those names and identify it, but each each individual represented a, a different point of view in the family. And she was very much the, the little quaint Quaker, and there's photographs of her with her Quaker bonnet and her mother. And, of course, the men in the family were asking questions, and there, there was a, a, a lot of uh, discord and also common ground that they were discovering. And so I present this as real people. They're mm-hmm. real people in a, in a, in a different era. Uh, they dress differently, but they contribute to making the story of who I am and why Mm -hmm. I am that way. Now, Wilmer was not a Quaker. Did he become one? Yes, he did, in order to marry her. He had to go through a lot of soul-searching to become a Quaker. And and I knew him as my Quaker grandfather. I didn't have to witness uh, what he went through, but he told me about it. Both of them, I note, were born in 1882, Correct. if that's right. So they moved to New York City. Why did they, or the New York City area, I'm not sure it was the city itself, why did they do that? Because Wilmer had a job. It was his first job, and he worked as a, in the accounting office of a cigar manufacturing company. And, of course, this was scandalous in that time uh, because some Quakers w- believed that cigars were the were the doorway to alcoholism and things like that. 
So this was his first job, and he was really gaining experience. So that's they ended up, they did live in New York City, and later, after their first child was born, Serena, who was my aunt, they, they moved to New York City. To Long Island, but they still maintained their residence in New York City. So it sounds like he did well in the cigar business. It was still a, a bone of contention in the, you know, in terms of uh, the cigar companies. Uh, it was a very controversial thing. Cigars were very popular then. Uh, strikes of, of cigar workers. Uh, all these things really took up space in people's lives. It wasn't just that they were activists. They were real people, and, uh, and and how did men think, and why was my grandfather different, and all of those kinds of things interested me as a 10-year-old, and one of the first stories that my grandfather told me was what it was like to be, to be a man and marching in a women's parade, and mm-hmm. he was there in the men's division of the 1913 parade in Washington, D.C., and so uh, the stories that I tell in my book are really about my family as they're woven through American history. And that's why uh, it's, it's a really excellent story to tell because it's not only their activism, their accomplishments, but it's also the, what they had to do in, in order to live that kind of life and, and mm-hmm. participate in many different things and also be real people. How did Edna get involved in the women's suffrage movement? Well, she always wanted to be. I think that it was a very hard time for women. They were just going to college. Uh, Many of them uh, decided they wanted to be art students. I think she realized how rough that that would be as a choice. And and, uh, so she uh, learned very early that she, she, she really didn't, like many of the things that were happening. Women were property, and uh, she wanted to make a, a difference. She wanted, and, and this is the sweetest message that, that comes through with my grandparents, uh, and I even have an example of it in the book. Uh, he, he's writing her letter. She's gone off to some kind of conference, some sort of event, maybe with a demonstration. There's no date on the letter, but he, he's telling her what it's like to be at home and to do, do child care and answer the phone and, and basically do all the things that she was doing. But he, his ending says not only that he loves her, but he says make history. And I think yeah. that that's what we're doing today, and that's what they were doing then, and they knew it. And they did it, and they saved, oh my goodness, maybe 15 or 20 boxes of documents and, and memorabilia that uh, I so- sorted through and read and took very seriously when I was writing this book. There is uh, one iconic object that your grandmother had, and that was the Spirit of 76 Suffrage Wagon. Yes. Can you tell us where that came from? Well, uh, I'll tell you where it is right now, and I'll go backwards a little bit. Right now, the Spirit of 1776 is in the New York State Museum, and it's been exhibited at, at numerous, on numerous occasions from 2010 on. Uh, it's still on exhibit at the New York State Museum, and it's, a, it, it, it's really a, uh, a story that represents what it was like to be at the grassroots is something that was actually used in the movement, and it's considered nationally an important 
a symbolic piece. And where did it come from? It was donated by a, a, a Brooklyn firm that specialized in wagons, Remsen. And I think that automobiles were coming in into fashion. And my grandfather's, even his own family, was involved in automobile manufacturer, the Kearns Motor Car Company. And an example of that uh, vehicle is in the State Museum of Pennsylvania. So they they didn't know the full extent of how they were making history, but they were just living their lives as regular people, as we do today. But, of course, it, it took me a long time to pull all of this together and, and make it uh, real and bring them alive on a page like they were for me. And the Ragon is a good representation, not only of their struggle in New York State, but also across the nation. Many, uh, many tens of thousands of women and men participated in a movement that was decentralized, and uh, they they agree, disagreed on many things, but they agreed on one thing, and that women should vote. And it was much harder, I think, than than they realized, but they pers- you know persevered mm-hmm. and the wagon is is a classic uh relic i think for new york state and the nation mm. and how did she use it how did your grandmother use it this is a horse-drawn wagon right yes it's a horse-drawn rag wagon and the city of uh long beach new york is going to be installing is installing a historic marker on its boardwalk and to recognize that the spirit of 1776 was not only practical, but it also caused uh, some disagreements. And there's another historic marker on the main street of Huntington, New York, which really talks about one clash over the wagon in 1913 uh, between those who supported women voting and those who were opposed to it. And so um, it, it, it really got a lot of work out. And the spirit of 1776 was exhibited in New York, in Albany, in 2010, 2012, 2017 to 18. And now it's uh, on exhibit at the windows on New York uh, at the museum that that lasts until the end of this year, 2021. I I don't really, what would be the clash over the wagon? Uh, I don't quite get that. First of all, there was a lot of opposition to women voting. It's, it's, it's just including women themselves and, of course, men and, and some industries. Uh, it, uh, anyway, why is the clash over the wagon? Well, in this particular case, uh, the <laughs> many people still remembered the American Revolution and those that were loyal to uh, King George III. And, and one family in Long Island, the Jones family, I think many people have been to Jones Beach. Well, it was named after the Jones family. Uh, mm-hmm. They were still on the case of uh, King George III, and of course they were opposed to women voting. And so my grandmother, who was in her wagon going down the main street of Huntington, uh, was confronted by Mrs. Jones, and Mrs. Her first name was Mary, and her husband was Oliver, and he was a physician. And she basically said. Mm-hmm. You have no right to be using that wagon for the purposes that you're using it for women voting. I'm against women voting, and I'm going to sue you because that really belongs to my family. And so there was a dispute over ownership, and there was a dispute over politics. And we take women voting for granted today, but at one time it was 
considered uh, a final blow to the mm-hmm. way things had been run for a long time. And so uh, people got really uh, animated about it. Yeah. And another uh, point I read in some of the material is that your aunt, Serena, would, who was maybe a little kid at the time, yes. would ride on the wagon. Yes, she, she did. And uh, she became uh, a suffrage movement poster child in New York City and Long Island. And in the book, there's, there's several photographs of her at the Metropolitan Opera in a suffrage pageant. There's a photograph of her in the wagon itself. Uh, There's many stories that appeared in the newspapers, the metropolitan area of New York City and also Long Island. uh, And also, Serena picketed the White House with her mother, Edna, in 1917. So uh, she she had some uh, behavior issues, but when she was a poster child, she was really into it, and she did a beautiful job, so... Uh, there's the, there's the truth behind the story. It's not just an accomplishment, but it's also what a family did and what a family supported. And and it was activism was a family affair for the Kearns family. And the fact that it influenced four generations of my family is, uh, I think, an indication of how important they considered the issue. That's interesting. You say that your aunt Serena was uh, like a perfect poster child, but it, it's like being a street angel and a house devil. She wasn't that way at home? That's right. Well, there's a whole chapter on Serena's baby book. My mother and I, who worked on the, the research, we, we disagreed about some things, but obviously the, 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 the baby book was, was an amazing source for me to, to see the difference between Serena when she was on her best behavior in public and what she was like when she was at home. And uh, I think that it, it, it's, it's, it's something that, that parents today also experience. How are we going to deal with this, this behavior issue? And so I, I think that part of the story is, is to tell the whole story and as much as, as, as can be told. And I stayed with my own family, and there was plenty of material uh, in, in that. And Serena, yes, she, she was a dual personality, but she, and she did it, the job of a poster child beautifully, and she was a terror at home. Uh, now, your mother was uh, Wilma. I mean, your grandfather's Wilmer. She's Wilma, right? Correct, and yes. She, Wilma was uh, quite a bit younger than Serena. Yes, she, she was born... My mother was born in 1920. Serena was born in 1905. And I think my mother was a surprise. Was she also involved in... But of course, she was born the year that the uh, women got the vote, right? That's correct, yes. And that's a story that I really wanted to know about. How did, how did my grandmother vote in 1920? And of course, for some reason, I, I never found that out. Uh, my mother didn't know. Of course, she was, the, she was a baby, but my mother was born within the week of when the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was ratified. And so she was a voter her entire life. And uh, so I'm in the second generation of uh, women voting in the United States. Going back to the struggle to get to that point, uh, you uh, mentioned that the black activist Frederick Douglass played a role in women's suffrage. What was that? 
Oh, it was a very important role. I think that uh, when Frederick Douglass attended the 1848 Women's Convention in Seneca Falls, New York, he, uh, he was there. There were both men and women there, and he was the one that basically said, "You know, you have this laundry list of issues. Where's voting?" And people said, "Oh, well, you know, we it there, there was different different opinions, but he insisted." That, that the vote was extremely important and that women in the United States should really push it up on their priority list. And because he did that, I think he opened up uh, a movement that, uh, w- that, that went that way. And uh, he was a very important person in, in the, that struggle. Of course, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. But I've always understood that maybe not Frederick Douglass, but some black leaders were disappointed in the women's suffrage movement, maybe in particular uh, one of their leading lights, Susan B. Anthony, for, not, for just focusing on women uh, and suffrage and not on um, African-Americans and suffrage. Well, I, I don't really know because I wasn't there, but they spent 50 years doing it, and I'm sure that... Um, that somebody would say that they're disappointed in any aspect of what happened, and and it's their story. I I can't say that I was there to really have witnessed it. Uh, I'm sure that um, that they 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 took the the situation as it was at that time. Um, it was a racist society. It still is a racist society. We operate within limitations. And the uh, the women activists themselves did not have pensions, did not have salaries. Most of them didn't. Uh, they were volunteers, and they did the best they could. And they passed the torch to the next generation, and generations have followed in their footsteps. And, of course, people would have preferred that they did X, Y, or Z, and they're entitled to their point of view. And this was a long struggle. Yes. You talked about your grandmother being in parades, but I gather she did other things for the movement. What were some of them? Well, she was a writer. I followed in her footsteps. She she was a columnist. She was a, a reporter of suffrage and women's news in New York City and Long Island. She marched in parades. She organized people to go to parades. She marched from New York City in the, in the direction of Albany in 1914 with my grandfather and Serena. Uh, whenever there was a need, she stepped forward, and it was in different kinds of organizations. In the very early days, she was active in the New York State Women's Suffrage Association. She worked with... Uh, uh, others who were interested in working women. There were many different aspects of how to approach and, and gather support in, in this movement. Many people felt it should be done on the state-by-state state level. Some people felt that it had to be a coalition. There was definitely a disagree- There were many disagreements as to, as to how to reach the goal. And my grandmother also uh, became uh, a very important person in the National Women's Party, uh, which during the First World War basically said, we're not giving up our struggle for women's voting rights. Uh, that was Alice Paul and uh, who organized the 1913 parade 
with Lucy Burns, and she basically was there. She said, I support the cause, and I will do whatever I can to assist in that cause. And But she, she also knew that there were many different approaches to uh, the issue, and she and she organized her whole family, including mm-hmm. her husband, her children, relatives, and also Long Island and New York City. And also, Edna and Wilmer, I believe, uh, opposed World War One, did they not? They were p- demonstrators for peace. That's correct. Yes, they they definitely did. And uh, and that the, and, and my grandfather, Kearns, uh, is of German descent. And of course, at, during World War One, there was the additional thing issue of whether or not women should uh, just support the war effort like they did in the Civil War, or whether they would uh, go on and 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 do something different. And and they definitely did. They, the the Quakers have a long history of commitment to nonviolence, and as Quakers, they followed that leading. Your grandmother died in the at age fifty one in the nineteen thirties. Yes. What is in general? What has the family continued uh, its activist outlook? Well, I think that it's fair to say that I am the way I am because of my family, and of course I didn't necessarily follow in their footsteps totally, but I, I identified the ways in which. Activism in, in general was passed on, and of course my mother was a peace activist, and uh, my you know, and of course my family during the voting rights issue was very much involved with that. My step great 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 grandmother was uh, an organizer of our family reunion that met, I'd say, for seventy five years during the uh, during the nineteen hundreds. And, of course, I have a history of activism in my own life. And I also contribute that to uh, how I was influenced by my family and also my Quaker background. Uh, Right now, my grandmother is buried in a Quaker uh, burial ground in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. And Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there's a long history in our family of peace activism as well. But for me, it, it's taken other forms and directions. I lived in New York State for 20 years in the Hudson Valley, and I, I had my fingers in many different things, including the Hudson River Sloop Clearwater, and mm-hmm. Pete Seeger, and Toshi Seeger, and many, uh, many, many other people uh, looking to clean up the Hudson River. Uh, and there are other things I could cite, but that's really not in my book. So I'm going to jump over that, but to say that, yes, it really uh, it really influenced me and it influenced other people in my family. And I'm sure that, that my grandmother and grandfather's activism over the years influenced other people uh, in their lives. And you live now in uh, New Mexico. I do, yes. Okay. And... We just have a few seconds maybe left, but what contribution does your book make to the uh, women's suffrage um, history that, you know, that other books maybe don't make? Well, th- there's uh, all her accomplishments, which I have an extensive bibliography and also notes section, uh, but it's also really about regular people and, 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 and how they have... Uh, 
contributed to activism in general uh, in, in the course of their, their lives, their busy lives. And my book basically talks about other things in addition to activism. Uh, it talks about the love story. It talks about uh, disagreements. It talks about what happens when men, uh, the, the men in particular, and there was a lot of collaboration behind the scenes in terms of the suffrage movement. But it's really about the lens of one family. And uh, there are stories that, that were told to me and I'm passing on, and it, it contributes to why I'm in the way I am, and I'm also urging people to tell their stories, their family stories, because right now, just in the, in the one year of the pandemic, I've seen many stories that, that will never be told. Marguerite Kearns is author of An Unfinished Revolution, Edna Buckman Kearns and the Struggle for Women's Rights. The book is published by SUNY Press. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.